0: You're listening to Past and Present, the Colonial Williamsburg Podcast. Hi, welcome to the podcast. I'm Harmony Hunter. The first arrivals to the Jamestown Colony in 1607 had a tough road to follow. Alongside their charter to explore the land and discover resources existed the demands of basic survival. Scarcity of shelter, clothing, and food reached dire levels in the winter of 1609, a period history has come to know as the Starving Time. Mortality soared, relations with local Indians hit bottom, and desperate colonists resorted to cannibalism to survive the harsh winter. It's a story that they're telling now at Jamestown Island, and joining me now is Bly Straub, Senior Archaeological Curator at Jamestown Island. Bly, thank you for being here today. Thank you for the invitation. Well, before we dig into this story, I... I always think it's important to remind people um, what Jamestown Island is. This is the site of America's first permanent English settlement, um, first landed on in 1607. Right. uh, Integral to the American story. We wouldn't be here now if there wasn't a Jamestown. Exactly. Um, And the starving time. Can you tell me a little? We talked a little bit in the intro about the starving time this winter. What happened? I mean, how close did we come to losing our grip
1: on the Virginia colony in this winter? Uh, very, very close. Um, we, were, we were just hanging on by a thread by that point. Really, w- w- the tipping point um, was a combination of things. One was a fleet of ships, the supply fleet, um, that was due to arrive at Jamestown uh, in the summer of 1609, encountered a hurricane on the way over, And um, all the ships were in peril. Uh, They were dumping provisions overboard. Um, People died. The Sea Venture actually got shipwrecked on Bermuda. And that just happened to have all the um, leadership of the colony, the new leadership, the governor and everyone else aboard it. So there they are, shipwrecked. They don't make it to Jamestown. The ships that stagger in, um, one ship has the plague on her, it says. Um, they've get, they don't have many provisions at all because they had to dump them overboard. Um, they come into the fort and things have started to get very bad with the um, Indian population by that point as well. Um, Powhatan had realized that uh, he couldn't win by using his weaponry against the English but he knew the English weak point and that was food. So he decided to starve them out and he ordered his warriors to put the fort under siege. So that happens, sort of late fall winter of 1609, when this already weakened group (laughs) is in the fort, including women now um, and children. Um, So it was really that siege of the fort that confined people in this small area of land, one acre of land, um, and they, resorted to eating whatever they could. If they could venture out from the fort, they chanced to get shot. Ones who did were able to find like mushrooms and snakes and toads and um, uh, they say they had to eat their dogs that they had. um, One context that we found that dates to that time period is a well actually had 19 dogs represented in that one uh, feature. They had to eat their horses that had been brought over with that 1609 fleet. There were seven horses, um, and we have found their remains as well. Um, and snakes and shoe leather. <laughs> and, and then they do say, you know, finally they were, had to resort to survival cannibalism. So everything is going wrong in the Jamestown colony at this (laughs) point.
0: We've known from the documentary record, we've known from the excavations that archaeologists have been doing for years at Jamestown Island about some of the things um, that colonists resorted to during the starving time. You mentioned the shoe leather, snakes, their dogs, their horses. For years, I think we've kind of been skirting around the question of cannibalism, because while some um, references to it existed in some diaries of the period, um, we didn't really tell the story. So
1: why now? Well, actually, it, back in the time, it was h- hotly debated about whether it was real or not, or because there was a lot of factionalism, infighting between political groups trying to uh, g- gain control of the colony. And um, the... CEO Sir Thomas Smythe of the, of the Virginia Company of London um, denied it. You know, he was saying, "No, oh, this is nonsense." Because there was one very famous case where the man was actually executed um, for his deeds. He is said to have uh, murdered his wife and then proceeded to slowly sort of eat parts of her, and which he claimed to because he was hungry. And then the court records say that a subsequent um, investigation showed that his larder was full of wheat and peas and corn and you know, that he had plenty of food and that it was just blatant murder. So this was kind of the story they, the Virginia company, I think, was trying to push out, that, that the, it hadn't come to starvation and cannibalism. That's bad when that's the positive <laughs> spin you can put yeah, on something. <laughs> I, know. Yeah. I know. But he was the only individual uh, recorded as having been executed for having uh, committed cannibalism. So um, since we now have evidence that it did happen, that is even stronger um, support for the fact that it was survival cannibalism. So it was condoned, if you will, by the you know, people who were there. It wasn't like a crime. It was something they were doing just to to survive. And we don't think they were actually murdering people and eating them. It was They were just um Processing people who had passed on, and you know so <laughs> it's a sort sort of a different story but the um the reason we haven 't really talked much about it is because there had been no evidence till now, and you know that twenty years of digging you'd think that we would have turned up and we've been digging you know concentrating on the interior of the fort um, so this was the first first time. We have encountered skeletons before in the fort. Um, There was an early burial ground in the fort, uh, when especially from that first summer when a lot of people were dying and the Virginia Company had said, don't let the Indians see how many of you are dying. So they started burying them within their small (laughs) confines of the fort. So it it was quite an amazing find. Let's talk about that. So earlier
0: this summer, earlier in the summer of 2013, the big story breaks that there's physical evidence found of cannibalism, survival cannibalism at James Fort. What was found?
1: We found part of a skull, uh, so it was only really half of a skull and it was um, in, sort of in pieces, and part of a tibia or leg, just the upper part. and. Um, you know, at at first when we found the skull, I mean, we, you know, we weren't too surprised, as I'd said, you know, we'd found this kind of thing before. Uh, We did take it out in a block of earth and took it into the lab to carefully um, take the dirt off. And we started seeing these very unusual marks right away um, on the front of the skull, these deep gashes. And um, so we, we, Always call um, Doug Owsley in to evaluate our skeletal human remains, and um, so we, we said we need to bring this up to you right away you know there 's something very interesting about this one for people who might not be familiar with dr Owsley's rep- reputation, we should say what his specialty is right he 's a forensic anthropologist with the Smithsonian Institution, and he is um, called in on all sorts of cases so Modern cases, you know, murder cases that occur um, worldwide when there are atrocities and they find mass graves and so forth. He's called in. Um, he has looked at historical um, issues as well, like Kennebec Man. He was involved with that. He is, I would say, the most knowledgeable individual on um, you know interpreting uh, skeletal material, human skeletal material. And, um especially in our now in our time period, because he's looked at a lot of our individuals and built up quite a database for seventeenth century uh, English individuals and what what they should look like and um the kinds of maladies that occurred to them. So.
0: so what was his take on this strange skull that you'd found
1: um well he he confirmed that it was not a case of someone being murdered or an accident, um, that these were purposeful um, marks which are called processing, so that is preparing someone to eat. Um, And it was a process for him too. I mean, he had to, they used um, all kinds of equipment um, up at the Smithsonian, especially microscopic scopic work, where you could really get in and look, see very closely all these scratch marks on the bone that are, were not so apparent to the naked eye. So these are left by the points of a knife, sort of scraping the skin off or the under the uh, jawline and things like that. Um, so it was a process, and we ha- had to be very cautious because this was an explosive <laughs> statement you had to make. This is really. Um, since it is the only concrete evidence from the colonial period of any colonizing group, even though it's been recorded in documents and spoken about, um, even in our time, the Donner Party, they've never found the concrete evidence of cannibalism. You know, it, it was written in a, a diary, an account, but um, there have been no bones that reflect the cannibalism.
0: So what exactly did these markings tell Dr. Owsley when he looked at it, these processing marks? You mentioned scraping away the flesh on the jaw. Right.
1: I mean, well, he he's worked out a whole scenario of events. And this is from his years of experience looking at, at murder cases and so forth. You know. So he believes that um, the individual was lying on her back um, at first and that someone tried to cracked the skull open. The, the, the thing was, they were trying to get at the brain. The brain um, you know, is, has a lot of good substances in it, calories, and um, they would be used to eating animal brain back in England. But it's the part of the body that will go bad very quickly. So you want to get at that first. So Then there are these marks, parallel markings, on the t- front of the skull. Um, which also leads uh, Dr. Owsley to believe that the individual was dead at the time that this happened because they were they're just perfectly straight. The person couldn't move or, or anything. Uh, it looks like those are tentative marks. The individual sort of lost heart at it. I mean, just think about it. You're looking in the face of this individual. So then um, he believes, Dr. Owsley believes, that the individual is turned over and a more forcible blow was made to the back of the skull, which did succeed in, in cracking the skull open. So we didn't find the entire skull. We only found really half of it. And um, then there were um, prying marks on the side near where the ear is, like a, a sort of square-shaped tool. It might have been part of a, a knife, the lower part of a knife. Um, and there were then cut marks and scrapes all along the jaw line where they would be removing the skin there, getting at the cheek meat, which would be um, good and and then removing the tongue and and that sort of thing so yeah
0: it was <laughs> it 's such a, a grisly story, and it 's such a pathetic story, and it really tells you how. Rock bottom, terrible things were at Jamesport at this time. That they were survival cannibalism, as you mentioned. They're eating people who have died, and you have to think that you have, must have exhausted every other possibility.
1: At exactly. That point. I mean, and for me, the fact that this this skeleton turned out to be that of a 14 year old girl or young woman, and for me, that is probably the most fantastic representation of this dire time there could have been, because this is someone who's been brought to Jamestown, um, probably as part of a gentleman's family. Um, She's not a soldier. She didn't sign on for this. And it's not like, um, you know, soldiers know that they're going into dangerous areas and they expect this kind of thing to happen. But here's this sort of um, hope of the future, you know, this young, young woman um, coming to this new world and here she is representing this desperate time period for us. It's truly tragic. When you tell this story, I think what's
0: so important about it in some of the reconstructions is that you've given her a name and yes. you've given her a
1: face. Yes.
0: Talk about the decisions to really personalize that story.
1: Well, we did. We, um, we wanted to sort of reinstitute her dignity. I mean, here she was, the way she was found, actually, the context was a uh, fort cellar uh, that had been, we believe, finally backfilled in the spring of 1610 when the Lord Delaware arrives and really sort of brings in all new men and new provisions, and we're off to a new start then. Uh, So the fort gets cleaned up and built over. So she is in the refuse of this um, cellar i mean it 's full of um butchered dog and and s- sturgeon bones and um broken pots and you know all this discarded stuff from everyday life and uh, so you know we wanted to we wanted to give her a name um, we thought about that you know what it should be we s- selected Jane because it 's kind of alliterative with jamestown um, also it 's a name that was used in the seventeenth century. And it, it's sort of like Jane Doe, too, you know, plays into all of that. Um, and we also um, wanted to give her back her personage, so we decided to do a facial reconstruction based upon the, um, the bones that we had found. And that was quite an interesting process. Um, We've come a long way now in being able to do that with all the sort of CSI things and forensic work that goes on. Um, And we actually enlisted an individual working with Dr. Owsley who has helped many soldiers coming back from the wars in the Middle East who have lost parts of their head, you know, or maybe, you know, an eye socket or something. And he does a lot of this reconstructive work and rebuilds their skulls. So um, we were able to complete her skull using um, his techniques, which is uh, basically using the computer uh, to do that. And um, so now we can actually look her in the eye, and she's a lovely, really lovely young woman. And um, I think it make, makes it more real for the visitor. You know, it's not just a clinical sort of case. This is a person who was at Jamestown, you know, back then, and this is her story. So. Where is Jane now? It's, are her remains reinterred? No, she is on exhibit in the Archaearium, which is our archaeological museum on Jamestown Island, historic Jamestown. Um, she, um, we have her um, displayed there because we thought um, we didn't want to be elitist so that only a f- handful of people would be allowed to actually see this very important evidence. We wanted... To present it to the American people, so that they could see for themselves, and what we did was um, we have her in what's called the um, the people room or the um, dead inform the living. It's kind of that idea, um, and we have a, a number of other individuals sort of um, displayed there. We concentrated on her story with telling how we know what we know. So there's a huge graphic panel that describes each of the marks we saw and what that means. We thought that was really important to bring the science into it. And then the the rest of the sort of uh, interpretive panels surrounding her talk about the circumstances, her context, you know, how how difficult it was sort of leading up to the starving time and that kind of thing. And then we wanted to end on a sort of positive note. So it was sort of the coming of Delaware and getting off to a new start and bringing in women and children, which is really serving to stabilize the, the whole colony.
0: Like so many of the stories coming out of historic jamestown it 's fascinating it 's tragic uh, it 's as gripping as as any drama you might see on the page or on the screen. Yes. We want to encourage everybody to visit H- Jamestown Island historic Jamestown uh, in person
1: or if they can 't get there in person this year to visit your website what 's the website It would be historic Jamestown and uh, Jamestown is with an E Jamestown with an E.
0: <laughs> so we want to encourage everybody to get down there and visit, see this amazing exhibit, meet Jane, and hear the story she has to tell us. Bly, thank you so much for being our guest today. Oh, you're welcome. You. We're always glad to hear from you. Send comments or suggestions from our webpage at podcast.history.org or find us on Facebook. To support the podcast and other Colonial Williamsburg programs, visit history.org slash donate.